Francis Turretin. <laughs> no. uh, Wayne Grudem. Oh, systematic wait. One, yeah. Was he like adjunct? Yeah, he came in. He was like a. He was like a. It was like a summer class that he huh. taught. Cool. It was like a two week long class. Which, by the way, would be an advantage of doing Midwestern because I could do like J terms. Yeah, and so I had him for systematic one, and uh, that was interesting. Um, we got in a little bit of debate. About time travel? About, mm, not about time travel, but about, uh, sort of God's atemporality. It wasn't necessarily about time travel in and of itself, so. But was or was not the quote made? That's a different professor you're thinking oh. of, yeah. Who are you talking about? Who was that That to? was Wellam. Oh, That okay. was my systematic two class. Okay. So systematic one, uh. We were kind of talking about like what is what is the nature of like what is the nature of God's relationship to his experience, like the person the person specifically, their experience to well, I guess it's not not persons, just the one person, the son. What is the son's relationship to his experience of his like human nature? And then uh, okay. did like, did that, did he begin to, he said something in our class, like at one point the son began to experience himself in a new way. And I was like, eh, like, I know what you mean, but that can't be right. Can it be right from our perspective? I don't know what that means. <laughs> like people, creatures bound by time looking. Yeah. But when you say the son, like the person of the son, the eternal person of the son began to experience himself in a new way. Yeah. I mean, you're immediately talking about like time, and, and I so, feel like you have the same <clears throat> problem though on the back end, where it's like the sun was always incarnate. Well, you you certainly have the same problem if if by that you think the only alternative is the sun was always incarnate. Now, this is where we kind of got into the discussion. Like, can you on the one hand say the sun in time was not always incarnate? Like there was a time in which the the son incarnated himself because obviously anytime we were talking about time, we're talking about a finite measurement that begins at creation and ends whenever. But um, so, yes, obviously there's a point in time in which the son has to uh, incarnate or which he does incarnate himself. The question I had was, what is his relationship? Like, if you think about God's relationship to time in general, um, you know, he knows the end from the beginning, uh, but a thousand years are but a day, a day is a thousand years. Obviously, theologians understand that God's relationship to time is atemporal, just like he's omnipresent. Mm -hmm. He's also atemporal, so he doesn't, he doesn't experience, this is why we're not open theists, like he doesn't experience time in the same way that we do. He stands over all of it. You know, we uh, a friend of mine's uh, grandfather who was a pastor used to say, God is the God of the eternal now. So that, you know, God is 
Uh, he's not existing at this point in time or that point in time. He just is. No. And all of time is sort of laid out before him in one instant, as it were. So, <clears throat> you know, if that's the case, then how do we understand? And, you know, ultimately we kind of have to plead ignorance a little bit of this, well, a lot of it. But, you know, what is what does that mean in terms of, like, the, the person of the sun? We start talking about, like, the hypostatic union. The person of the sun, uh, when he, you know, when you talk about the person's uh, experience of his human nature, uh, yes, that begins at a certain point in time for the human nature, but it, it it's not as though you could, it's not as simple to say, you know, in the in the atemporality of this, yeah. the experience of the sun, all of a sudden he began to experience himself in a new way. It just doesn't make yeah. sense. If God exists outside of time and, and in a sense experiences all of time at once yeah, and at the same time is distinct from it, then there would never be a point at which he didn't experience. Yeah. Well, and it's the same kind of basic argument that you make that like when God prophesies, is he predicting based on like, yeah, I think this God up there going, I think this is probably what's going to happen. Or does God know for certain the end from the beginning? So he knows exactly what's going to happen because God has an understanding of what happens. And so you do have to be careful because you can say, uh, basically what I was trying to say to him was, um, to do, to do justice to the concern you had, which is you don't want to say, the sun is eternally is eternally something that was true, but not. Uh, you don't want to say the sun is eternally incarnate, <clears throat> um, because that doesn't really make any sense. Because the incarnation happens at a point in time. Yeah. But you you have to be able to talk about it in the same way you talk about anything else. Like, how does the God relate to? How does an atemporal God relate to any action that happens in time? Yeah. I mean, he must sort of know all of it and all of it must be immediately present to him in the same way that every, every square inch of creation he is over, you know, all at once. Yeah. So time is the same way. And this is kind of, you know, maybe somewhat aided by the way we maybe have a better understanding of the relationship between space and time. Like there's, they seem to be interrelated. Um, if you believe Einstein is correct. I guess. I don't believe that guy. I don't believe anything that guy says. Uh, I, I do think, <clears throat> so my, my, my only concern for kind of debating him on it was, um, that's a, that kind of opens the door when you say like, the, the son began to experience himself in a new way. Like, I'm like, well, that, that just seems like it's really opening the door to open theism. And I'm not, that's not to say that Wayne Grudem of all people would be wanting to do that. So that's a little bit why I was like, well, we'll wait a minute. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's a helpful way to say what you're trying to say. Yeah. And so we got into a little bit where he was like, are you saying like for God, Abraham Lincoln is both president and not president at the same time? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, in a sense, like you think God's sort of carrying along with history in the same way that we are. Again, I think if, if that what were did he true, say to that? I don't remember. I think he said something like, no, 
I don't think you can say yes to that because I think that's like fundamentally what makes you an open theist. Yeah. Is for you to say that you think that that's the way God's experiencing things. Yeah. So I think over time, I still think it was a good pushback. It does start to veer a little bit into like how many angels can fit onto the head of a needle kind of a question because like, I don't, I don't ultimately, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I don't, I can't even possibly begin to understand how God relates to time other than to say, I know that he doesn't, he didn't begin to experience himself in a new way. That just doesn't sound right. Anyway, I think, I think any way that you limit God, uh, in time, if he's bound by time, that's when you have an issue. So if you say, if you say like, you know, God, God only experiences Abraham Lincoln as president or God did experience Abraham Lincoln as president, but no longer does, then you're putting a boundary on God in regards to time that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole, I mean, uh, you can, you can, you can put boundaries on God, uh, sorry, uh, Christ as a man. Sure. Yeah. I mean, time. you have to. You have to say ultimately, like the the son in and through his human nature is limited in the same capacities. You know, he, um, you know, he is what it, he's. This is what the the uh, Cappadocian and uh, what's the other one? Drawing a blank. Nicaea. Yeah. Um, this is what they were really trying to get at was that. You know, he is a human and and not like a sort of human. Like he's a human, and so in every way that he's human, he's human. Um, and so he eats. You know, he's really eating. He's not like seeming to eat. Yeah. Um. And you know, you can talk about some of the things that he does, and there's some room to say like, you know, we have to always maintain that that classical distinction in the hypostatic union of, um what Christ does in and through his human nature, what Christ does in and through his divine nature. And the two don't sort of mix in some sense. You don't have Christ uh, who, you know, in and through his human nature, upholding the word, the world by the word of his power. Yeah. And simultaneously he's doing both because he's a person who he's a hypostasius who is, who has a union of two natures. Which yeah. Is the whole doctrine of the hypostatic union yeah yeah that makes sense i uh, yeah have you ever thought about how christ as as a man ate fish that he created yes is that not a weird thought to you i think it's pretty cool it's so bizarre to me (laughs) it's like i mean obviously fish are inherently less valuable than you know like a human or something like that which yeah. is interesting interesting for me to think of the creator of like an animate thing right eating that thing <laughs> yeah yeah it's true it's pretty cool yeah consuming it yeah that's what he made it for that's true especially if you're a pes- among other things if you're a pescatarian that's true they don't like that no, they do because they like fish. Well, that's true. But if you're a vegetarian, I guess a vegan, then you would have to rebuke that. You'd be like, "Jesus, you made that thing. What are you doing?" <laughs> it's true. I don't know. Probably not a very good representation of what a vegan would say, but <laughs> probably not. 
they would probably be more nuanced in the way that they address that. I'm sure there would be arguments about the way. I don't know. Have have you met? Have you ever met like a serious like Christian, like someone who's a vegan because they're a Christian, or is it just? Do you know? Have you? Yeah. No. I no. I have. I mean, and I mean, I, I have family members that are like that. Actually. Really. Yeah. What do they say? Um, it has more to do with the humane treatment of animals. Sure. Um, which I always thought was an interesting term, by the way, like humane treatment of animals. Anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah. treat them as humans. <clears throat> yep, but uh, uh, it has to do with the practices of the meat industry uh, and how they sort of uh, confine animals or sort of designate them to a life of, you know. Yeah. No, there's – I've heard – some arguments about that. Not we, well, but even but even in the even in the way that they kill them, you know. So would these people be for? And you're probably just like totally not sure at this point. But would they be for like fine if you hunt the animal and kill it? If it's like a majestic animal that has a happy, I think they would probably be more range. okay with that. Yeah, but I've heard interesting arguments about how uh, a uh, a creature's ability to uh express affection is its sort of proportionate value that's weird yeah what do you mean by that so like the more that uh an animal or a creature can you know, like make eye contact and have some kind of cue with you that expresses affection uh the more sentient and more like conscious it is and therefore the more valuable it is the dog would be up there. A cat would be up there, but like a grasshopper doesn't matter. Gotcha. What about as much? Like a dolphin? They would need a dolphin. Dolphin would be up there for or an, sure. Or an orca. A deer would have to be up there. A deer. Really? They're they're generally wild, but like you can raise you can raise a deer. But like how? That's my thing is though. Like how much of that that you're talking about do we think is affection, or is it just like? Are we imputing to them? Yeah, like personifying or like you're giving me food. Well, I think you could definitely make a distinction between a dog and a cat and like an insect, right? Yeah, but I don't think the distinction is one of like as one of affection. It's one of like obvious intelligence and uh, maybe even like. Well, there's a so so certain animals. Certain animals are able to warm up to you. Right, like there's a comfort and a safety that they feel yeah, but around you're just you. Talking that... about like domestication. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not. But like the process of domestication is. I don't know that I'm not sure if I would associate that with like affection. I mean, we we it's hard not to see that because we like with dogs we're like oh, my dog loves me. Well, so here's an example. There's uh, I hate to use this example, but uh, cats. I have a cat. I do, uh, too. You do, too? Yeah. yeah. So, has your cat ever licked your hair? He's licked my hand. Okay. So, uh, when cats groom you, uh, studies have shown that it's basically them identifying you as one of their own in such a way that they would do to their own children. Sure. But, okay. But this, again, like gets back to what's – are we talking about, like – these animals obviously have instincts 
that have a lot to do with their socialization. Like they have a, they have instincts in terms of protecting their pack and uh, caring for their pack and things like that. <clears throat> and those are good instincts that help them survive. Um, I just, I think to compare that to human love, I, I think is a little bit, I would just be like, oh, I don't know if this I don't, is, yeah, I don't like know if the my, language is supposed to thinking I'm another cat and, and taking care of me on, on an instinctual level, doing what it's sort of going to do no matter what, just because it thinks I'm, you know, you read about stories. Well, like but, I was but, like but a, again, but again, even that is categorically different than something an insect would do. That's the point is that the, the capacity well, yeah, to, so to an insect relate not, in that way. Yeah. But an insect is not intelligent enough to do all kinds of things for sure. But the argument is that because of that, they're less valuable. I mean, yeah, I, I did, I guess where I'm like, where I'm having a hard time understanding that is, I'm not saying there isn't like a case to be made for a maybe like a scale like insects are less valuable than a cat or a dog. I don't know that I would like put the capacity for affection as like the 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 point at which I judge that. Yeah, that's probably fair. Is all I'm saying. It's because probably I'm not sure something I, different. I don't know that I can separate out like what's genuine. Like, what are we talking about? We talk about affection. That's a very, maybe it's the Edwardsian in me, but that's like a very human thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just have a hard separation in my mind between instinct, like animals' instinct, and between human inclination and affection, mm-hmm. and how much of that affection is based on a capacity to have self awareness and a capacity to, well, a capacity to be made in the image of God. At the end of the day. So, but, yeah. So, I, I mean, like, <clears throat> this is why I think we can we can personify an animal a little bit. But, like, I don't I don't know. I don't think do, my dog Do animals actually, have wills? I know. I don't think so. Not so, in the same way. What that, is that? Like, what makes them choose things? Again, I think typically the, the, the language we talk about is, like, instinct. They have But what is instinct? Like, what does that mean? Uh... I, I mean, maybe you could use that, but I, I mean, I'm not a Darwinian, but like, I just mean, it seems to me that animals have like, God has given them certain like programming would be a better way to put it. And I don't think you could use that same language with us so that animals have certain programming that they, that they base their actions off of. And, and that programming seems to be pretty pretty like fixed to where we can manipulate it and this is why like well is there any point of of comparison like so i guess my my question is do humans have an instinct is this this the way that scripture talks about the flesh and like the the body you know the body wants certain things according to you know pleasure whatever is going to be more comfortable and those kinds of things like is that what animals experience on some like to some degree that they maybe there's like a maybe there's a comparison to be made but i think obviously what we experience when we experience like a desire for things is very different than what they experience um we don't we don't hold animals morally accountable for their instincts because we typically recognize 
that's that's instinct. Yeah. Like we know don't don't go uh have a chimpanzee as a pet. That's a terrible idea. Cuz it's going to kill you. If you don't if that happens What about a tiger as a pet? Yeah, also like a tiger king. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. Like we recognize those that's an animal. Now domestication is like an interesting thing because we we've figured out how to manipulate the programming of certain animals over time to where we've sort of like we've bred certain characteristics into and out of those animals. But I think you can't do that with people. I'm, I mean, you can't, you can't yeah. breed people that way. And like in the same, in the same sense, but like you can, you can, I mean, animals are so fixed in some of those things like that. You can really create very specific kinds of animals that are bred with specific kinds of instincts in mind. Yeah. And so I just think we tend to, we've, some of those instincts are obviously maybe analogous to stuff that we do, like caring for their young. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think, does my dog love, if it had a puppy, does it love its puppy? Not in the same way. I mean, it's concerned for it in an instinctual level and it recognizes on a, almost like a programmed level, I need to care for this thing. But then you also see all kinds of weird stuff that animals do, like... um you know, they're very like cutthroat in that, yeah. like, okay, if I have a puppy and it's like, it's not eating, well, it's dead to me. Yeah. You know, that's just not even a little bit of a concern at all. Like, oh, I still love you. You're my puppy, even though you can't eat. It's no. like, no, I'm not going to feed you. No affection there. No affection. And, um, and I think that's, we can't, we don't just go like, man, that dog's cold. Like we, we recognize that's just, there's a certain kind of. Uh, way in which animals seem to be built to operate and they don't really deviate from that. I mean, animals don't just all of a sudden start acting in really different ways. I mean, they pretty much well, pretty well follow a script that you can almost like easily identify. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So when we're talking about the manipulation of animal instinct, can we can we say that that's true in any way for human beings? Like, is there any kind of um, process by which we inherit traits from our parents and their parents? Yeah. And like, you know, you think about like genetic dispositions, right? You can have like a genetic yeah. disposition to alcoholism or you know, something like that. Like, is that somewhat analogous to what we're talking about with? animals and how they could be domesticated and they can be sort of maybe i mean maybe there's some i mean i certainly don't this is i mean we can open up a whole can of worms with this but like i I, i'm not can worms be manipulated they can be manipulated to catch fish um i am certainly not uh a proponent of like macro evolution yeah but this seems like it would be more on the micro side it would be on the micro side and i do think that uh, as christians that we have to be able to recognize there's some um some value to micro evolution and obvious like obviously animals within kinds can be bred and certain characteristics can be uh, selected mm-hmm. and certain characteristics can be uh, 
uh, favored and things like that. And then sometimes that process happens on its own. Yeah. Um, based on climate, mostly. I think that's kind of true for humans, though. I do think, you know, to be clear, I think we're radically different. I don't think I think this is always the thing is like we can talk about the obviously from a design perspective, God didn't create us in such a way where we are just like a word we're, we're a totally different thing yeah we're not um, not animals we're just more than that yeah um you know like we're not we're not mountains yeah we're not like sentient mountains i'd love to know what that's like so <laughs> um or trees we're not ints um, <laughs> so there is something about the way in which god created us that we have some obvious design i've heard it described as sort of like design similarities Mm -hmm. to animals uh though obviously um that would be a bit like comparing uh a trying to think of a good analogy here without ruining it um be like comparing a bicycle to a car like Mm -hmm. you'd be like yeah um these things work in very similar ways and they're the, they're the same thing. Like they're obviously not the same thing. And, yeah. Uh, one of them is totally different though. Yeah. They accomplish some similar functions and there's some design similarities in terms of like wheels and things like that. So there is some level in which I think you look at us and you have to say, um, there's, there is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's some kind of micro, component i mean i don't know how else we can think about like the instance of Babel and the dispersion of human beings all over the climate and obviously that had a major impact on the way we developed yeah and so that we developed very differently yeah people who were in certain climates developed darker skin yeah people who were in uh, climates that were not as sunny developed uh red hair and white skin that like helped make sure that they had enough vitamin D yeah. is what the theory is Yeah, for Irish people. Yeah. It's always There's... so cloudy in Scotland. <laughs> in that area. Interesting. So, I mean, obviously something God is doing something there in the genetic makeup of human beings to where we're adaptable. And that's yeah. the question is, are we adaptable? And, um, uh, yeah, clearly. Yeah. That makes sense. How did we get on that topic? I don't even know. I think it was, Vegans. Vegans. That's right. That's right. If, is there a biblical argument for veganism? Which is interesting when you look at uh, Genesis 9. Now we're going back. Because God is endorsing the eating of meat to to Noah. Now, you know, to be fair, I, 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 I hear the arguments of vegans and vegetarians and a lot of times it's not it's not you know across the board just a blanket statement eating meat is wrong it's where is this meat sourced from and how how did you how did it come to yeah, you yeah and i think that's a that's a good concern i mean i've i've i do think if we have a responsibility to um to be good stewards of creation there's not something yeah. there's not something illegitimate about having a sensitivity to some of the things that some of the ways that those that animals can be used and mass produced well and there's something there's, i think there's something twisted like not being concerned with that like 
I mean, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to say, you know, animals are less valuable than humans, but to treat them in such a way that you don't care if they feel pain or, you know, like you don't care about the way that they live their entire existence. There's more of a, there's more of an issue there. There's a, yeah, there's a devaluing of God's creation on any level where we say, like, I think there's a difference between saying God created animals for the purpose of, um, serving humanity and yet. There's a difference between t- t- treating them sort of like haphazardly, like you're saying, and then just like cherishing them as a as a good thing that God has given us. Yeah. Like anything. And if we abuse yeah. anything, yeah. Um, that doesn't go well. And yeah. so if we – yeah, I think we have a responsibility to like steward animals. And obviously we recognize like dog fighting is not good. Yeah. And that's not okay. Yeah. And I think more even – like I think even Christians, like it's not even just because – Ooh, we do puppies. It's because we recognize. I don't think that's what God created those yeah. animals for. Yeah. He created them for, especially dogs. It seems like God created for companionship and yeah. and certainly to do some amazing work. You know what they were originally used for in terms of like shepherding and yeah, catching well, other animals and yeah. You even think about the the weird uses that police will use them for, like their their yeah. their nose sensitivity, like their sense of smell is insane. Yeah, and it helps solve crimes. All these things. I mean, like who would have thought that yeah, an animal could be useful in that way? But apparently, God had intentions for that. Yeah. Now th- it's a whole other bit different thing when you talk about like how animals are treated and sourced. Um, but if you're going to make the blanket some, statement, you can't you can't kill animals. Well, God clearly endorses that in Genesis yeah, yeah, nine, yeah. right? Yeah, yes, and well, and you can't just simply make the argument like, well, you know, Adam and Eve were eating were vegetarians in the garden, and there was no killing, and so that's the ideal place that God wants us to get back to. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know. Um, it's not the world like we live you, in now. You said. And made the point Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with after his even his resurrection camping with his disciples and eating fish. Yeah. Um and maybe that would just lead someone to become a pescatarian and not a thing. But And the other but, the other question I mean, is you know, you have you have examples in the New Testament of Paul, you know, talking about eating meat. Um yeah. now he's of course dealing with a completely different issue. Yeah. But if I think that if if the point at that point, it was like, "How can you eat meat?" Period. Yeah, I think that would have been the argument he would have made. Was, yeah, you can't eat meat. Meat, eat it in the right way, in the right yeah. context. Yeah, and and there, there's probably an argument. This is an argument from silence, but there's probably an argument that Christ ate uh, lamb and Passover. I mean, if he's going to fulfill all righteousness, part of being a Jew would have been partaking of of the Passover meal. Yeah. Um. That's weird. It's a weird bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what we like to talk about. Yeah, and but um, I, got, I think uh, if you, I think if you make the argument that like, <clears throat> uh, I think there's an argument to be made that the way we have to mass produce animals is not great. Yeah. But the other, the other, the other hand of that argument is, well, how else are we going to mass produce them? And and we have to mass produce animals because yeah. the sheer number of people that exist well, in order to, you know, in order to feed people yeah. and to feed people at the scale at which we're required to feed them. I mean, it, it is going to take a major change 
in the infrastructure of agriculture. That's true. To be able to do that. And so, uh, in that, I mean, I guess that's what's kind of driving all this, like... Cage-free. Well, and... not just that, but, like, the Impossible Burgers and... Yeah. I haven't had one of those, but... I have. Uh, the texture is a bit different. The taste is pretty close, though. That's the interesting thing. I don't know how the heck they make those. It's got to be like soy sauce and wasabi and every other kind of seasoning packed into one thing to make it a meat. But and then it's pretty good. And then they're trying to do the like lab grown meat. I th- I have a I think I have more of a problem with that than I do with <laughs> yeah sure. the current operations. <laughs> That's that, that just seems, seems there's twisted about that sick that seems good. Yeah, I don't like where that could go to. Yeah, and where well, it has gone. Yeah, it's yeah. There's all kinds of stuff with that that it's like, okay, are we gonna? What what can we grow? Brave new world. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point where you see something on the news, and it's like you know some crazy innovation, technological innovation. There's no longer any skepticism about whether or not it's possible to do something or right. Or right to do something. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's some skepticism out there for for the ethics of things, but it's gotten to the point where I was, I will, you know, I, I, I literally I, I saw an article the, well hold on, hold on. I saw an article the other day of this was months ago, but uh there was a flight coming into LAX that, that was reporting guy. a guy on a jetpack flying right next to him. Uh and there was multiple reports coming yeah. in. Very high. Yeah, like extremely high. Yeah, and and that was the that was the last time I decided to be skeptical about things because I thought, okay, they were clearly seeing something. Jetpacks don't exist. We're not that far. What was it? Was like three six thousand feet or something? Yeah, look, look yeah. that up. See how high that guy was, Justin. Look so, that up. <laughs> yeah, we have a friend here today, Justin, Justin Rose. Uh, but looked it up, and lo and behold, jetpacks exist. But they and they're currently in use. But they and, don't know who this guy is. They still they it happened twice. That's true. But there there are videos on YouTube of people test flying these jetpacks. Like it's a thing. Yeah, but this one is insanely high. Like I remember reading it and, and like trying to fathom how high that was. And somebody said like the upper limits of some of the most advanced ones out there are are like maybe that high. Maybe Gosh. conservatively. So whoever it was, like I think it was really funny. I remember the the yeah, three thousand feet in the air. That's really high. Now that I mean, is, it's not yeah. like cruising altitude, which is like thirty thousand feet. Yeah, but well, you got to think the the person doing that. That's not his first flight. Like it's not like a test flight three thousand feet in the air. This has clearly been in development. They've been using this for a while. They feel comfortable enough to fly that high. I mean, jetpacks exist. Somebody somebody jokingly on Twitter uh, when that first happened was like. Uh, Elon, where were you? Elon, where were you yesterday? <laughs> so true. It seems like something he would do. Something Iron Man would do. Be up there with his jetpack. Which, by the way, he, well, he is Iron Man. I was going to say, Robert Downey Jr. went to, to three hundred yards south of LA. What's the saying? About three thousand feet. Gosh, this happened again. Is that illegal? This, like, could that guy get prosecuted? I'm sure. I mean, but yeah, is yeah, you have to have, is there a, you have to have FAA clearance to yeah. do stuff like that. But is that something that they thought of in the law? Like, hey, you can't fly a jetpack by a plane. I think any, I think the law is really broad. I think any like air, 
any air travel. Is that the case, the case with like drones and stuff? Yeah, you can't. You have to have FAA clearance to fly anything over like a certain it's over a certain amount of feet. It's like over uh, 200 feet or something. But you can't yeah, you can't do that. It's illegal. So, this is kind of a cool thing, but uh Walmart recently started this uh, drone program. They tested it in uh, Nevada, but uh, they've, I can't remember the number, but it was like 200 different deliveries uh, in this two-day window. But all of them were successful and wow. potentially could be uh, something more large-scale. It's on YouTube. That's cool. So you're just telling me I'm going to give my groceries to my front door? I hope so. You hope so. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Going back to what you said a minute ago, where you said no one is skeptical of what's possible anymore. I am. I'm still pretty well, skeptical. Well, you're, you're of a what's dinosaur. Possible. You're yeah, one but, of the last people. But, like, I hear about that, like, the meat burger in the lab, and I, I don't know. Something in me goes like, yeah, right. I, I don't – I think that people say that they're doing things that are – a lot less impressive than they are because if you ever used like Alexa, it doesn't work. Well. <laughs> like I was, I was talking to my son the other day and he's really terrified of the idea of robots Yeah, and especially cyborgs. Yeah. He's like, dad, what if we, what if cyborgs becomes a real thing? Hey, and we were in our basement we were in our basement and I was trying to get the Alexa to like pause the TV cause it can have control over it. I was like, Alexa, pause the TV. And Alexa was like, uh, did you say turn on and blah, 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 blah. It was like something totally different than what I said. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this why, this is why son, you don't need to be worried about cyborgs because we are nowhere near close enough for anything to actually be functionally worrying. But is Alexa the best representation of artificial intelligence? She's certainly the most commercially available. I mean, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, it's all like crowdsourced because they're getting all this information constantly. Google. Constantly I mean, even updating. the Google Assistant's not great. What about like IBM Watson? I play good chess. I don't well, know. so there's that. There's also that. Have you seen that robot? Uh, it's like this woman. I can't remember her name, but she like expresses emotion. It's like it's a it's yeah, a human like robot. I'm still not impressed by that because you're. You take too much to be impressed because I think so much of that is so is so much like it's an algorithm, but it's still an algorithm. Like the ability. Here's the thing about AI that uh, I am very skeptical of. There's a uh, an infinite number of ways you can interpret stimuli, and and yeah, that's really hard to figure out how to like program. I think like incredibly hard. Like maybe it's never going to happen. Hard. That's well, the thing. That's why I get skeptical of that kind of stuff. Is I'm like. You might be able to create a really complicated program that can learn to continue to program itself, but it's still always going to be a program. It's never going to actually understand. And that's why that's I'm really That's probably that true, stuff. but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a ton of advancement. Like think of like uh, self-driving Maybe cars. Automation, yeah. Yeah, think about think about the technology necessary for self-driving cars to work. They have to have sensors in them this that one, can detect objects. Yeah, no, I get all that. And this they have is, to be able to to filter out objects that don't matter. Right. You know, like, because if it was anything that ever came into your path, well, then it's just going to randomly break at times and it's going to screw up and your I, drive. I don't disagree that, that all those algorithms can, can do all kinds of automated tasks. But that's all they are at the end of the day is they're automated tasks. Yeah, I don't fear, but that's not I don't have that's legitimate... not unimpressive. No, I mean, I'm not saying it's unimpressive. I just don't. I don't walk around going, 
when are the AI overlords going to try to take over, you know, and, and, and make us their slaves. I just don't think that's going to happen. Well, just so we understand the argument, the argument is basically that, uh, artificial intelligence, when it's able to improve itself, uh, and is able to run at an infinite rate because computers can just keep running and not actually have to sleep, that the idea is that their capacity for growth is both infinite and exponential so that there's a certain I work, point. I work with computers every day, man. Those things break all the time. That's true. But but the idea is that there's going to be a point where it reaches what's known as the singularity, no, which is the point happen. at which the intelligence, and this is measured differently, but some form of intelligence for computers matches the form of intelligence for humans. Nope. At which point, once it passes that, then the growth will be exponential, and then we won't even recognize what computers are because yeah, they'll be so, so different so from a, us. it's not going to happen because I think from like an eschatological perspective, there's just no reason for me to believe that that's going to happen. I don't, I don't have any good reason to believe that the that that AI is the Antichrist or some weird thing like yeah. that. Uh, I also just I don't I think the claims are overstated. I think there are people out there who are really smart who think who think from an, a worldview that makes them predisposed to thinking that why wouldn't machines basically be able to replicate us because we're just machines and we're not, we're yeah, not just machines. That's true. And so I'd be like an Elon Musk the, way of the world. Yeah. And so there, we, we come at that question already with an understanding of human nature that, and we've already kind of talked about this, like we're not programmed in that same way. We are, uh, we are souls and and we are something that is that is also that is not just material but fundamentally immaterial and and a lot of what drives us and and a lot of what moves us um affectionately has nothing to do with something that you can program and that's so, true but but you can manipulate things in a pretty scary way like i mean well you can make a dog seem like it loves you well you can make you can make a baby with all the genes that you want. I mean, like, there. Well, that's a totally different question, though. But but the the idea is that technology is being used in ways yeah, that are sure, but astounding, yeah, and scary. No doubt and, about that. There, but those are totally different questions. Like, can we create intelligence? Artificial intelligence is a completely different question from can we manipulate the genes of human beings yeah. um, and what's the repercussions of that. So well, I'm far more concerned with the question of what we're doing when it comes to gene manipulation and things like that. That's much more concerning because we are dealing with people. It's not concerning to the level of, I think we're going to create mutants, but I, I mean, I think it's, it's, um, um, it certainly seems very unethical. <laughs> Yeah, but so, well, going back to artificial intelligence, like I, I tend to think of that in in terms of what you see in the Tower of Babel, like Genesis eleven, when when God you know stoops down, he 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 says, you know, uh, the reason why he's he's going to disperse the people and confuse their language is because uh, I think the the wording is something like. Uh, there's nothing that they won't be able to do. There's it's something along those lines. Yeah. You may be able to correct that. And and while I, I don't think that you could ever make a computer like conscious, I think that we probably don't know. We probably can't conceive of the capacity for machines to 
have knowledge or to the kind of knowledge that they can have, especially when you start including like stimuli recognition, then there's something that could yeah, approximate I mean, consciousness, no. which would be strange no, to see. No, how, I, how, how, because I think it can have data. It can, it, there can be data stored in it and it can know based on what we've told it to do, how to manipulate that data. But that's a fundamentally different thing than actually understanding. My computer does not know what that information means. It that's has, true. It has the data. Now I can I can create sophisticated processes that tell the computer what to do with that data. And you could say, well, at some point that becomes the same thing as telling the computer what that data means. But it, it again, that largely depends on your interpretation. Well, the question so, is, if, if a computer is constantly sort of refreshing itself to the point where even yeah, even if those I get all that. interpret the data in this way yeah. and the, the interpretation itself is being improved consistently, yep. the question becomes, but at what point what? does that become? But based on what? Uh, inputs but but no 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 you're 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 missing like the fundamental question i'm asking which is whose interpretation so like again we, well, be we, the... we as human beings have a hard time agreeing on how to interpret data mm-hmm. and we have um i think things that drive us that you can never code into uh, uh a process like that. So there's, yeah, there's just, you can, you could create. So let's say I'm Elon Musk and I say, I want this car to interpret data so that it knows what to avoid and what not to avoid. Well, I've inherently in the process that I've created, I've inherently encoded a kind of interpretation into the stimuli. I've said, interpret, Hey computer, interpret the difference between X piece of data and Y piece of data and use these um, use these factors to determine that. And and maybe I can create a really sophisticated process in which it gets better and better and better at being able to do that one thing I tell it to do. But I've st- I'm still the one who supplied it the, the appropriate parameters of interpretation. Initially, yeah. It, but it never gets beyond that. It doesn't decide at some point I'm going to start interpreting reality for myself. No, no, that's a fantasy. You, you, no, you, I wouldn't. I would never put it like that. But I think that it could get to the point where it the, understands the initial inputs and it's able to use those in the, the different way. No, here's the thing about the singularity and why it's never going to happen is that the reason the singularity is so fascinating is because we basically say, well, at some point we imagine this scenario in which we create more and more sophisticated processes, and then all of a sudden, that artificial intelligence somehow bridges the gap between needing us to tell it what to do and all of a sudden it knows how to interpret all of reality and make decisions for itself. And, and there's a reason why you talk about it like a, like it's this almost like a Cambrian explosion type thing, because we're just like, we can't really even imagine what that means because we a, even if it were possible, we are so far from that being actually possible on a, any kind of level, even just from a, a technological limitation level of being able to like, provide the kind of computing that would in order for that to happen you'd have to have like the most sophisticated quantum quantum computing and we barely even understand how that stuff works so there's unless 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 the computers themselves were able to improve the technology you could just say that you could just say that well but that's the that's the problem though is that it's it's a theory it's hypothetical yeah yeah, yeah. but it but the the question is 
because it's because we're talking about exponential growth, we're talking about boundaries pushed that we don't actually know yet. And so it it, Again, it, it no, will right. always get to the point where you say, well, we don't know, like we we don't know exactly what machines are okay. capable of. Let's start. Let's but if you ro- could, let's roll this back a little okay. bit. And let me ask you it this way: Is there a point in which you think a dog could do this same thing, given enough time? No. Okay, so I, you're you're agreeing with me? Yes. Yeah. If wait, is that your argument? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, because, no, 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 yeah, no. A mach- okay, a machine in, in certain capacities can be smarter than a dog. It can be more efficient than a dog. I would argue that a dog uh, is in certain capacities, going back to our definition of like intelligence, I don't think computers are intelligent. I think they're efficient at automated tasks that we give them. And computers do not know how to understand. They're not, they're not conscious. No, and for, they're not going to magically true. become conscious because we make them sophisticated. Enough. That's true. But if I, if I say to my dog, uh, dog play, you know, uh, thunder road by Bruce Springsteen, yeah. my dog's not going to turn on the radio. Alexa can do that. Obviously it's not consciousness. That's do you not know why Alexa can do that. It's because responding some really intelligent people and actually intelligent people figured out a way to make it do that. And, yeah. and so that's not, that's not intelligence in the device itself. That's intelligence, like automated processes that human beings have developed. It's that's, that's true. That's true. But it, it, the device is able to run without the humans after a certain point. Cause they programmed it to. Absolutely. But but the fact that it can run by itself without right, and that's you know it, someone taking again, it along the yeah, hand. We agree it's an automated process. Yeah, and but my point is that's a you, you, there's a big bridge and a big gap between an automated process that I tell it to do, and then all all of a sudden because I I gave it uh, a complex set of instructions on how to how to become more efficient at that automation. All of a sudden, it now knows the nature of reality and can interpret reality well, on its own and can... I don't know that the argument is all of a sudden. I think people think that, depending on who, who, who talks no about it... But there's no good explanation for how that's actually going to happen because we all recognize there's something fundamentally different about consciousness. There is, and, and I, I don't disagree with that. I'm not saying that computers will, will suddenly become conscious and will be just like humans and all these things. But I think that... If you have like so much of it depends on who are the initial programmers of these things, and if computers are able to access other computers or other systems of machines and have control over those things, then you have a. To I mean, do, you to, have a literal well, to Terminator do, to situation. Do, to on do, your hands. do what though? Well, it's the question: is it depending upon what the initial programmers' worldview right. was and their understanding? Yeah, of, and I'm not debating that. I'm not debating the ability for us to create sophisticated. Um, automated processes that can cause unwanted outcomes like that's happening now so if you watch the social dilemma like we already have artificial intelligence that is doing that that sort of doing what it's designed to do and it's it doesn't know that it's doing that in the same way that you and i do it's not like thinking you know, one of the things have you seen that the social dilemma i haven't no but i have i you think i know the argument so one of the things that's basically this it's the 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 argument is it's a bunch of tech former tech people who explain that one of the biggest problems with social media is that it's based on all these algorithms that are basically designed to 
addicted you and to sort of shove in your face like what they what what will get you to continue to use social media the most yeah now what's really funny about the the documentary is in order to depict this they have this like they've they've dramatized it and so throughout the documentary it's you're following as they're explaining all this you're following this like kid who is addicted to social media and the guy in it talks about how um, what what these algorithms do is they create like a voodoo doll version of yourself, like a virtual version of yourself, and then they manipulate it. And in order to like depict this, they they show these like sinister people inside this like dark room. Like, okay, he's about to get offline. Feed him another link uh, to this thing and tell show him that his friend is somewhere, so he'll get back online. Now, like, it's it's interesting and it's concerning, but it's the, that's the thing that's the most laughable about it as though these algorithms are like maliciously back in the background going, yes, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to get him addicted. They don't think like that. They're just designed in a very like cold way to do what we told them to do. And they, they are designed to, to analyze your patterns and Mm -hmm. to respond to those patterns in a very predictive way. Mm-hmm. And so that's not the same thing, though. That's an automated process. And it's not the same thing as somebody maliciously sitting behind this. Like, that's the it, it really it, the thing that was so ironic is it really highlighted where we are and where we aren't in yeah. terms of this whole argument, because you uh, artificial intelligence is not at this point, And I don't think well, it's ever going to be at this point where it's this malicious yeah, process it, it, that sits back there. That I doesn't agree. mean it doesn't cause problems. So the whole the whole argument is that that these automated processes have an unintended consequence of shoveling disinformation into our social media feeds. So they don't care again, because they don't understand, they don't care or understand if what they're showing you is uh, fake news or if it's conspiracy theory, they just know how to interpret your behavior. The algorithm knows how to interpret your behavior and to do it in such a way that, uh, that it knows. Okay, I, I, there's an there's an analyzing of of my behavior and a recognition of uh, x amount of more clicks happens between these hours. X x amount of more clicks onto the page happens when x content is shown. So x content. It's a very it's a very basic idea, but like okay, so here's more x content, and it doesn't matter if. If that it doesn't have any discernment or ability to go in there and go, well, I better not send him this because it might be fake news or it might be a conspiracy theory, and you know it doesn't care. It's just it's just going to shove whatever into your face it thinks you want to see, or it's going to get you. It's it's designed by these companies to get you to use their product more. Yeah, because the argument in the documentary is you are actually the product on these websites, like your attention span. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I agree with all of that. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I guess my question is, do you think that um, any of these algorithms or any of these programs will get to the point where they're able to sort of like uh, invert and assess the inputs themselves that they've been given like and improve upon them? None, I mean, I don't even know what that means. To be so, yeah is there ever a point where like another computer can audit a program that has been created and assess whether or not the program will sort of achieve its desired outcome? Yes. If not, then to correct it in certain ways. I mean, like 
Again, we're getting into sort of maybe, hypothetical but language, but maybe, but that's a little bit different than the first thing you said. So you can you could create a program that can quality check. Well, the reason I'm bringing but that up is that different than machine learning, right? Yeah, yeah. You can create a program that can quality check, but that's different than creating a program that can create its own programming in the same way that you were saying, like a program that can just sort of based on uh, what, you know, based on, again, it has to be based on certain parameters. Like it can quality check the programming and say, okay, is it achieving its desired outcome? Oh no. Okay. Here's some deficiencies in the program. We can improve it. Yeah. It's a little bit different than like, can you create a program in which it begins to program itself? Well, its it's, own, I don't think it's that it's different own. because all you're saying is that you're scaling that process. It's different because you don't you're 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 not supplying like the the crucial piece, which is the variable for what it is it's trying to quality check. So you're you're basically saying it it's easy to say in theory, it's a lot harder to do in reality. Like can you create a program that could just be a self determining program? Well to do what? I mean, that's just not how again Well uh, let's say let's say that you had sort of a uh a very general purpose for the program, like uh I don't know, like improve gdp in america and like it's able to assess all these different factors and to change them at mm-hmm. at quote unquote will uh if if you had a purpose behind it and it was driving the actions right. Again, of the of but, the computer and itself that's fine. you could do that but that's a different thing than saying can you create a program that can do that and then all of a sudden create it in such a way where it's like arbitrarily going to go, you know what? I don't, I've decided I don't care about GDP anymore. I've decided what I really care about is murdering all the human beings because all the human beings are causing pollution. Well, the argument, the argument is not that the argument is more. What if the computer determines that in order to improve GDP, certain people need to be eliminated? Like, and it had the, yeah, but you'd have to program that in. Like you, 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 you would very I, I obviously guess. know that you created a program that could do something like that. You, I just there there are very specific like you'd have I mean, to basically say like here here computer program. Let me program you in such a way to where I give you access to like weaponry, yeah. and I tell you yeah. here here program. If if it means if increasing the GDP means killing people, that's okay. Go ahead and do that. Like access program and initiate. Yeah. Like you know you were doing that. And it and it and you and, and, and then again, if like the argument is like, okay, but what if you what if you like created it in such a way where it would know to like try to hack into this again, you'd have to program it to have the ability to do that. Okay. Well well let's say let's say that there you'd was have to go like I gotta create this. Let's say there was a bad actor out there. The Pentagon. Okay, but like hypothetically, just just indulge me. What if there were bad actors out there that had sure. the intention to do that and just, you know, hated everyone yeah. and wanted to cr- and actually had the power to do so? Yeah. And sure. gave them access to yeah. all these things. Yep, sounds dangerous. Sure. Well, here's the thing. That's totally different though than than computers are going to take over and then they're going to become their own. That's well, it's not, not different or, because no. if if you're granting that, then that's exactly what would happen. No, but it's not computers taking over. It's Russians or whoever. <laughs> yeah. But yes. Using computers. Through a computer. Yeah. 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 Here's the thing. In, in this conversation, I I think I think there's probably some truth in that there's probably a limit to what computers can do. I do think that there's there's a bit more uh 
maybe there's more concern when you know less about computers because i mean for me i'm looking at my computer screen right now and it literally feels like magic like i have no idea (laughs) how i'm looking at a picture of something that's you know displayed to me and i could look up any picture on the internet and just suddenly see it appear right in front of me i have no idea like i understand circuits and all this stuff are involved but i don't know how you go from this block of metal to a picture yeah, look, illuminated it's, it's before an, me it's an there's no doubt that it's an it's an incredible thing and the and what we are able to do the way that human i'm and, not but what impresses me about all that is humans what impresses me about all that is not computers and what computers are maybe capable of it's what humans are capable of and the fact that humans are capable of of creating of harnessing god's world in such a way that they can create tools that can automate sophisticated processes mm-hmm. and um and yet i do think there's a limitation to that and like i said i i work with computers a lot and so i am less impressed with them because i my job most of the time requires me to have to fix them when they're broken. Yeah. And when they're broken, they're really dumb yeah. and they're really, really dumb. And you're like, man, this thing is dumb. It does not want to do what I want it to do. Yeah. And it, I can't just reason with it and go computer, please work, you know, do what I want you to. It's, <laughs> you, you can, know. it just won't work. So yeah, I mean, I get, I get, and I think that's part of the problem with some of this like AI talk. And why people get a little bit like bought into it because smart people will talk about it, but they'll talk about it. And like, if you ever listen to him, it's still pretty vague generalities. It's like, no, but, but you know, you take a guy like Elon Musk who really is worried about it, or you take other people who get concerned about it. And again, I think a lot of their concern comes down to if you, if your basic worldview is that human beings are already machines and electronic impulses and, and, and are electronic impulses are what motivate us and not, deeper more immaterial realities yeah um and that's what and what separates us from animals is is all that it is is evolution then of course you're gonna think well gosh we have to be able to do the same thing and with computers like we have to you know that the process of evolution must continue on and the way it must continue on is through artificial intelligence and we obviously we can get to a point where we can make computers that what we are because we are just computers with made out of meat. Yeah. Um, but we are obviously more than that. I think as Christians we know that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there's something about us, you know, being made in the image of God that defines um, not just our intellect and our self awareness and our awareness of God and our awareness of uh, of creation and our ability to to look at a mountain and be in awe of it. Yeah. That is never going to be something you can really program into a computer. You might be able to program computer, recognize mountain computer, uh, when recognized mountain play sound, ah, dot MP3, you know, like, (laughs) Oh, but that computer doesn't actually experience awe when that happens. Yeah. And, but, but to the outside observer, if you like go watch this and you and you stick a, uh, your phone up to the to the mountain and it goes ah oh, you go see my my phone knows it's just not the same thing yeah but it's a sophisticated process that that imitates and that's all it does it imitates yeah i think that's i think that's true i i i never want to i never want to give the impression that i think that computers can 
can be human or or even get tap little, into any level there. of consciousness. No. <laughs> the the argument that I'm making is that I think that computers or pro- machines in general are probably capable of something that maybe a hundred years from now would approximate something that looked like consciousness. Not that they ever did. It, it would it would always be it would always be determined by their programming. Yeah. But but I think that we don't we probably don't know I mean I know that we don't know the capabilities of machines. I think we're I think we're on the very front end of what technology could become. Maybe. I mean, uh, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know how I don't feel how I couldn't feel that way given the era that we live in. I mean, like I grew up and cell phones were not even a thing and then all of a sudden they became a thing and all of a sudden I have like the internet in my pocket. Yeah. And you know, it's just it's we've 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 come into existence at the front end of a lot of this technological development and so I think a lot of the the uh folklore around these things are more plausible just because no one ever thought we would live in the world we do today, you know, well, you 40 say years that, ago. But, you know, th- we don't, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know. Like, you go back and look at, like, what the things we did think were going to happen never happen. Like, we don't have flying cars. We don't have, we well, don't live in the I Jets actually saw, uh, well, yeah, but I saw know, one I mean, recently. You know, I mean, yes, we do, but we don't. Like, no. when I mean flying cars, like I'm talking about, like Jetsons, like. Well, Uber. If Uber gets their way, that's that's their that's their end game. Sure. Well, Elon Musk is gonna put microchips in all of our heads, and. That's the weirdest thing to me. That's, that's the weirdest so thing. So that we can go to Mars and do whatever it is we're gonna do there. Okay. Well. Okay. I actually have I have a legitimate question about that. Do you think that? And that means that the rest of this was not legitimate. Do, <laughs> do you do you think that God will allow humans to create a colony on Mars? And part of my question is influenced by uh, kind of my eschatology. If Christ is going to return and judge the Earth, uh, if someone's on Mars. Are they like exempt from what's going on in the judgment of Earth, or are they included? Listen, all this question has prompted me to do is read you my favorite hymn. <laughs> Please do. This was uh, written in 1970. It's called "God of Earth and Outer Space," uh, and it is actually in the Baptist hymnal. Really? Or it was at one point. They anticipated this By question. Bad Roberts Jr. God of Earth and Outer Space. God of love and God of grace, bless the astronauts who fly as they soar beyond the sky. God who flung the stars in space, God who set the sun ablaze, fling the spacecraft through the air. Let man know your presence there. God is God of atmosphere and air, God of life and planets bare. Use man's courage and his skill as he seeks your holy will. God of depth and God of height, God of darkness, God of light. As man walks in outer space, teach him how to walk in grace. God of man's exploring mind, God of wisdom, God of time, launch us from complacency to a world in need of thee. God of power, God of might, God of rockets, firing bright, hearts ignite and thrust within, love for Christ to share with men, God of earth and outer space who guides the human race, guide the lives of seeking youth in their search for heavenly truth, 
God who reigns below, above, God of universal love, love, <laughs> love that gave nativity, love that gave us Calvary. And I don't mean to laugh at the nativity and the Calvary, obviously, because those are great. But I just the juxtaposition of this hymn is amazing. And that I, is now the official hymn of the Consent to Being podcast. <laughs> it's an incredible juxtaposition, and I mean, like, I guess, are you trying to find it, like the actual? <laughs> the, the tune to it yeah. Yeah. it's kind of got this ominous feel to it I am I am not that's terrifying yeah I, I'm I'm actually pretty worried oh, right no now no way um, wow that's 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 being sung it's such a it's just a fascinating like just juxtaposition of a of a hymn where you're singing about, you know, uh, what is it, you know, uh, as the astronauts walk in outer space, teach them to walk in grace. I don't, why is that funny? Why do we find that funny? Is there just something ridiculous about that? I don't know what's um, funny about that, I guess. I mean, certainly it's, we it's, do want it's God It's weird to... to think of that being a hymn. I mean, like, yeah. I wouldn't sing about, like, Bless the business people yeah, as they well, yeah. type on their computer. Yeah. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. You don't sing weird songs about other endeavors like that. Well, it's very man-centered. Oh. Even though you're kind of like trying to ask God to help you. God help us be astronauts. Uh, <laughs> um, but but there is uh, – the reason I brought it up because there is something somewhat like funny about that where we're like – there just seems to be this sense in which we think like – I don't know. I'm not against the idea of us trying to do something like that, but I don't, I don't know what it accomplishes. I don't, well, I guess, I guess as for me as a Christian, like you said, I don't fundamentally sit around worrying about the end of the world because I know the world is going to end yeah. and I, lo- I look forward to it yeah. in some sense. So I'm not trying to escape. Well, that, so that's, that's kind of my question is, you know, God has clearly designed earth to be the dwelling place of man. Yeah. Uh, and it feels somewhat like the Tower of Babel for us to go and create a colony on another planet. Like, does that not does that not yeah, feel in some way rebellious to God's it, purpose? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it just seems like, you know, it's. I don't think there was anything rebellious about us going to the moon. I think there is. There, you have to sort of. Well, like, there's a difference between going to the moon to like have gone and Mars. going to live there. Maybe I don't know. If if it depends on like what we were trying to accomplish, if it's like a, you know, if we're just doing this because we want to test the limits of like technology and human achievement, and you know we want to try to see like uh, there's something in, in the human nature that seems to always want to explore, yeah, and and do that, and uh, yeah, that's true. You know, if you believe Spurgeon. Then that's what we're going to do true. for all eternity. That's true. The Spurgeon, do you have that? You Can you look that, look that up? Look that up. There we go. Spurgeon, Spurgeon's uh, idea about us exploring the, the universe and telling the gospel to all the aliens. <laughs> I'm serious. It's basically what it is. It's not working, is it? So he's in he's in the he's in the 19th century. So they there was concepts of. How how far back to, does the idea of an alien go? 
I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. Why can't I find this? I think it's so weird that it's like it, the it, all this other stuff is like coming up like we are aliens on this world. <laughs> It's 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 a great quote because it's this like really funny uh, the way in which like he just totally spurgeons the whole thing too because you read it and you're like this sounds ridiculous uh, but because of it's Spurgeon and the way he puts it you're like yeah that actually sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find it. Maybe if you find it, let me know. It's something like um, he says, you know, we are. This is some crazy website. It's not going to work. It's something like he says, you know, we we shouldn't presume that we are the only creatures that God has made up in the cosmos. And wouldn't it be wouldn't it be grand if in the. Yeah, I've heard this. In the age to come, we traveled the stars and told them of the grace that God has shown to this little planet of Earth. And it was like, what? You mean you think we're going to go, like, in eternity, we're just going to travel around, find aliens, and tell them about the gospel? And I'd be cool with that. It, but it, but then, like, the way he says it, you're just like, man, that's such a Spurgeon way to make that weird thing sound awesome. <laughs> Where we're just like... Spurgeon believes in aliens and what that means is we're going to spend eternity like sharing the gospel with other people and but in it's like way where we're glorifying God's like grace towards us particularly. Yeah. yeah. I can't I don't know. It's hey. fun. Hey. So so you so going back to Mars uh you you don't necessarily have any theological issues with it? Um I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, is it a good, I mean, there's questions you can ask about it. Like, is it a good use of time and energy and resources? And those were questions that people asked about when it came to the moon. Like, man, that seemed like a lot of money to get a bunch of rocks. And there are other people who said, yeah, but it did help us in different ways. And the technology that we were forced to develop in order to do that was really helpful. And yeah. You know, it, it's always the case that man's desire to sort of explore and innovate seems to push us forward. And so I, I don't have a problem with that. I think if you think, yeah, I think if your basis of it is uh, we're going to get there and that's where we're going to, we're going to find a new place to live and eventually Earth's going to get destroyed and we're going to have to leave. And I mean, I think that's all kind of like, I think for Christians, we probably don't need to, we probably shouldn't be worrying about that. I yeah. Again, we know the world's going to end. Yeah. Um, and we don't know when or um, we know con- we know how. I mean, in the sense that we know that it's going to ultimately. And this is always the thing that's so funny is that, like, you talk about, like, uh, is it going to be artificial intelligence? Is it going to be an asteroid? Is it going to be food starvation? Is it going to be, you know, this? Uh, well, the Bible's pretty clear what it's going to be. It's yeah. going to be Christ. Yeah, and Christ is going to be the one to to destroy everything. Yeah, um, and that's not that's not a, even a question in the in the New Testament, and mm-hmm. it, and it's pretty obvious that he by his appearing will do that. So I don't think we we don't need to be the kind of people who are constantly like worried about 
things like artificial intelligence that, oh, that's going to be what what brings about Armageddon or something like that. Like, yeah. We know it's going to happen. We know Christ is going to be the one to bring it about. Um, so I guess because I think that way, I don't tend to think about that kind of stuff as like either essential or... Um, what kind of stuff? Like going to Mars or artificial. Yeah. I just, that kind of stuff doesn't frighten me. It doesn't concern me. And I think this, the case that gets made oftentimes is is really overblown about well, like what technology will be able to do for us. Okay. Well, yeah, but just like let's, uh, let's extrapolate, I don't know, 50, 100 years into the future. And it's a, it's a very real possibility for you to go – and be a part of this colony that now exists on Mars. If and the Lord wills. Like you're a pastor at this point, and one of the people in your congregation <laughs> is is asking you, "Hey, I I'm really considering." Where do we better be singing that hymn? <laughs> That's right. If I'm on Mars, that better That's be right. what we open every service with. That's right. I mean, hey, I hopefully there'll be better hymns by then. But yeah, <laughs> about outer space. Yep. So, I mean, there's plenty of, yeah, anyways, one of the, one of the people in your congregation is coming to you. Hey, Pastor Terry, I am kind of on the fence. I'm thinking about going to this Mars colony. What would you advise me to do with my life? scenario that you've created. I mean, it may or may not be a thing. You don't know. And you said there's a church there, a healthy church. On I never, Mars. I didn't. Well, in this scenario, just to make it more complicated, yes, there's a <laughs> there's a nine marks church on Mars. Oh boy, um, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. But everyone's Christians there already. What? That's even weird. It's a colony of Christians. It's actually, it's like the Puritans how they left England and came to America. They've just repeated the process out of at, <laughs> out of America. Well, I would say, hey, we know how this is going to Mars, and uh, you know, you're going to have babies, and they're not going to be Christians. That's true. So you better make sure you're Baptist right now. <laughs> that's what you would say. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, that's that's such a weird hypothetical. I don't, I don't think that's helpful to even think about that. I mean, let's deal with that when it happens. It happens. <laughs> I'm not going to give you All an right. answer to that. That's it, fair. It's just, <laughs> it's just crazy. Okay. Yeah. That's hey, not, hey, if you don't want to answer the question, man, that's that's like asking me, like, what if someone comes to me and and asks, you know, like, hey, there's an underwater colony of people, and they live in this underwater city, and they're trying to run away from society, the ills of society and well, you know, it, join this underwater call. I don't know that it's that remote of a possibility and not, not necessarily with Mars, but like, let's say you have a scientist who goes to your church, who is asking you the same kind of question, but he's going to go to Antarctica. <laughs> Why is he going to Antarctica for research? Did I say that right. And Antarctica, 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 He's going to Antarctica to do research. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. I guess it depends on what the research is. Oh, interesting. I mean, okay. I'm not going to I'm not gonna just make that decision for him, but I'm going to have a conversation with him. I'm going to be like, you know, if he's researching the Antarctic... Uh, Geology. If he's re- researching the Antarctic, the effect of the Antarctic might... 
on the geological structures and the reason he's doing it is in order to try to figure out something that's of value like sure okay fine go do it but if the you know uh if the reason is he's being a weirdo <laughs> and he just wants to go live in antarctica for the rest of his life i'd probably be like oh man maybe that's not a good idea um but those are i mean those are just bigger conversations you can't this is the whole thing about those hypotheticals is like it's always it's always m- m- there's always so much more data that you have to work with when a real person is asking those questions Yeah. than if you just try to create the hypothetical that you have things that you can talk to them through and ask them and, you know, motives that you can assess. And, you know, certainly I would want to try to figure out a way to encourage him to like make sure the gospel and make sure his life as a Christian is still what's central to him, even if he's in Antarctica or <coughs> maybe underwater in a colony or in Mars. Atlantis. And, um, you're, yeah. just, you're trying to get me to say we should do, like, we should plant churches on Mars. And I'm, not, uh, I'm not necessarily saying that. I, I open this with the idea that I'm very skeptical of going to a remote location and spending the rest of your life there in general, unless it's for the purpose of like missions. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think that's useful. I'm not saying that I don't think we need to like reject out of hand the idea that like somebody who's a scientist who needs to go to a remote location and do research on and off is just somehow doing something wrong. No. Depends on what that research is. And you know, we, again, you just have to have conversations with that person. And if it's just out of pure, like, I want to be the person I want to be remembered as the person who discovered the Arctic structure that the effect that mites had on snow mites had on the Arctic structure, because I, that's, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll have a deeper conversation with him, but, um, that's really hard to assess too all the time. Sometimes you just do your best to say like, all right, you know, if that's what you think you need to do and, uh, you think the person is capable of maintaining a walk with God? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I you can't always that. tell people what to do. You can do yeah. your best to give them counsel. And if they want to go to Mars, nothing you can do is stop them, I guess. Speaking of, there's some kind of picture over here on your... Oh, yeah. What is this? Uh, this is... Uh, I teach my kids... Uh, science um, as part of their homeschool curriculum. So that is, I'm teaching them how the weather works. Okay. Interesting. How the sun affects the weather. We're looking at a picture of the earth with some arrows. Oh, is that the sun? It's, over to the right? it's the earth and with, the sun coming down. So. Okay. And then they commandeered it and just sort of went nuts. <laughs> and it does look like there's a spaceship at, at the top. That's actually a molecule. I think that may have influenced a lot of these questions subliminally. Because you're looking at this the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Because I, I, I was thinking maybe we would talk about like any of the stuff that happened over the last week. You know, you know there's been things happening. Yeah, it's and just been, just as relevant. You've been going on about veganism. That's right. Mars. Yep. Artificial intelligence. Yep. Um, yeah. Arctic 
expeditions. Space hymns. That was you, actually. Space hymns. <laughs> and here we have an, it, here here we are at an hour and twenty three minutes, and we haven't once talked about anything related. I am entirely week. happy with the way that this conversation has gone so <laughs> it's far. Fine. I mean, that's what it, it is. What it is. Well, a little, a little bit more lighthearted than last. Let's uh, first episode. Let's talk. Let's talk uh, the last couple of weeks. So we uh, we started this podcast looking ahead to the election. Yep. Talking about how Christians might disagree, uh, but disagree uh, in a in an acceptable way, right? Yeah. Um, on who they vote for or who they choose not to vote for potentially. And now we have a situation where. As far as I understand, there's not an official certified. president there's elect. Certified. There's an Associated Press uh, confirmed president yes. elect, but there's not a, uh, a federally uh, endorsed well, president elect. Well, just make it simple. The election has not been certified. It will not be certified until probably December. Um, well... That's not even – that doesn't even necessarily – yeah, most elections don't get certified until later anyways. We just kind of assume that the obvious uh, data that gets released is obvious. And then I think it's a pretty normal process for you know people to go through to make sure – that's why it doesn't usually get certified as later. It's okay, we got to make sure all the numbers are right. Yeah. This is obviously a little bit more contentious because you have one candidate who – uh, even though the 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 if the um, like you said the AP has seemingly looked at the numbers and said it appears that we have a winner mm-hmm. and that person has declared victory uh, Joe Biden Joe Biden and Trump does not obviously think that he has lost and so he's going to challenge that on a number of levels maybe maybe not maybe some of those are legitimate yeah. Maybe some of them are not. I had there have been lots of interesting theories and and f- yeah. I mean, I think one of the one of the most difficult things about this whole process is it's been this is the perfect environment for everything that's happening to be as confusing and contentious as it is. Yeah, because there's no. I don't think that there has been any period in which you could look at this and think both. If you're going to cry foul uh, and there not actually be something foul, people, I think, look at it and go, yeah, that's that seems like something he would do. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a, like, the boy who cried wolf type scenario. Yeah. Where he's, he doesn't have, his word doesn't carry credibility. And so I think there's a lot of people who are going, yeah, of course you're saying this is illegitimate. We're talking about Trump. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, I think there's like a – it's what's what's troubling is that there – if there's a time where it seems like maybe there would be some stuff that would be going on that wouldn't be good, you know, it'd be now. Yeah. And so I it doesn't – I don't – I haven't seen anything that's really convinced me that his claims of widespread – fraud or are anything to be concerned about but i recognize i'm not the best person to determine that yeah ultimately the best person to determine that's going to be the courts who are going to determine it because we have a really good system in place yeah where he can make those claims and if there's legitimacy to it 
it's going to get hashed out. And yeah. I, I think on the one hand, he obviously is trying to undermine the process mm-hmm. because he doesn't like the outcome. And, on the other hand, yeah. I don't appreciate people who just reject out of hand the possibility that he. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to your point, I mean, Trump had been somewhat weaving the narrative, even from the debates, you know, that, but is it just, was, would you say it's just him? That's, I mean, he's more recently, but like we've been hearing for four years that our, our, our election process is being undermined. Sure. And I think that, I think honestly, we're probably not remembering uh, previous elections and how these same kinds of conversations have right. come up. I mean, the same conversations were coming up in 2000, you know, yeah. Bush Gore at the time, but it's particularly in Florida. But, you know, I, I, I think, I think this brings up kind of a, a larger question for Christians. Uh, you know, as Christians, we recognize that, you know, we, we, we believe scripture and scripture would tell us that human beings have a sin nature and so we have this natural assumption about people that yeah. is correct that they they uh, that they're sinful that they're inclined to do evil, uh, and knowing that, does that mean that as we look to these kinds of allegations about fraud or about some kind of tampering with the election, do we should we naturally assume? Oh yeah, that's that's plausible. Should we should we be skeptical? Should we say, ah, you know, I'm not going to actually accept this until I see evidence of it, or, or you know, what what side of the fence should we fall on? Yeah, when we hear these kinds of allegations being made. Um, yeah, that gets into the the bigger question of how much should I I think the attractive thing to us as Christians about conspiracies is that, like you said, we know. And believe that a people are capable of of uh, of evil. They're capable of um, oppressing, you know, using power to oppress other people, uh, and even abusing and manipulating their position in order to accomplish purposes and ends. And it's happened throughout history. Um, and we also know that on at least a spiritual level. You know, there's something true about the idea that there, there, that there are powers that conspire against um, God and against those who would follow after Him. Um, yep. There's, there's a reason why we read something like Screw Tape Letters, and we find that to be a valuable book. That you know, hey, this is this seems like it's really getting underneath the sort of like way in which. Um, we understand that we are not at war with flesh and blood, but there's real intelligence out there kind of undermining these things. And and the Bible speaks about those beings, you know, demonic and whatnot as having uh, an influence over the kingdoms of this world and over the things of this world. So I don't think it's beyond the scope of possibility that we should, we should just, we should never think, well, America is so great that it can never be manipulated. It can never be abused. It can never be, any of those things. I yeah. do think though that we do have a responsibility always to stand above these kind of processes and and um and try to judge them based on what seems 
apparently true. Yeah. Meaning I don't think we should have a propensity or a susceptibility any more than anybody else to to just buy into a conspiracy just because we know people are capable of being evil. Yeah. Like we don't need to believe every accusation of of evil just because of that. And yeah. so um and especially with a track record like America, not saying that there haven't been shady things that have happened in elections in America before, but again, I do think we have, you know, to almost contradict what I just said. I do think we have a pretty good process in place and pretty good systems in place to protect against that kind of thing or to deal with that kind of thing were it to happen. Yeah. Which I think I would like to see that us be willing to just let that process. Sometimes we just want to, we want to be, um, we live in this age where we, we have access to all this information at a distance. Mm hmm. Um, and you look at like a lot of the police brutality and, and some of those things where we want to, we, we got, we have lots of video that gets shoved into our faces and, and we, we make judgments and decisions about what that video means or what, what should happen. Um, and we don't want to let the process like play itself out. Yeah. We don't want to say, I don't know, I'm not the best person to decide the facts of that case. Maybe yeah. I let that go to yeah. the right people that we've a step. We, there's a reason why we've created those systems and put those people in those places yeah. so that there isn't just mob rule and mob justice to determine that. And I think social yeah. media has kind of undermined that a little bit where we have the ability to look at all that and go, this is what I think. Yeah. You know, sort like, of knee jerk reaction. <clears throat> yeah. And, and without being willing to go like, maybe I'm not the closest person the mm. best person to make this determination. And, to make, and I think that's ultimately the best way for us to, to, you know, to work through this bigger problem of social media and all the information that's just like overloaded on us. Yeah. Because I think one of the biggest challenges I have when I get on, and this week has been a prime example of that is like, I don't know what to believe and not believe because you've got, you know, so many people. So who do seem so easily, because it fits what they want to happen. They want a particular candidate to win. Yeah. So they of course seem like they're willing to believe any, any and all conspiracies yeah. that, that someone can generate. Well, can I interject something here? Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that there's sort of two ways that you can err uh, when it comes to conspiracy allegations, right? The, on the one hand, you can say, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, just out of hand. Uh, on the other side, you can say, uh, you know, people are capable of evil, they have the capacity to do evil, and therefore any any conspiracy theory that's posited uh, is plausible to me. And Especially if it fits my ideology yeah. and my agenda. Exactly. But, but the issue on both of those is that if you're making assumptions without really knowing the facts of, of or really having the full picture yeah, and it's sort of your way of filling in the gaps of, of your lack of understanding. And so I think in both ways, like you don't, as a Christian, you don't necessarily say like, there's no such thing as conspiracy. Right. Of course there is. I mean, people conspire together to do things, yeah. but that doesn't mean that every possible conspiracy that is alleged exists. Yeah. But I think, I think we have a bigger problem than that even. And that is that, um, it's not entirely obvious to me that it's easy to determine that 
nowadays because like let's take as one example the the guy in Pennsylvania the postal worker yeah who um who reached out to Project Veritas and said hey i overheard um my supervisors and saw them doing some behavior that appeared to me to indicate that they were telling us to collect ballots that were sent that were or telling us to take ballots that were collected after election day and to postmark them for the date of the election so that they could be counted. Yeah. In other words, he's saying, I think we are being told to take votes that we shouldn't legally be able to accept and to put a previous date on them so that they can be legally accepted so that we can get more votes. Yeah, which ostensibly would favor Biden because they were mail-in ballots. Yeah, right. For whatever reason, that, that mail-in ballots overwhelmingly favored him. Um, so he reached out to them initially anonymously. I think he, from what I understand, he began to, f- to worry that um, for some reason that he needed to come out and make his identity known. So he did. And then he got a GoFundMe page because apparently Project Veritas told him you need to start this in case you lose your job. And, and then GoFundMe put a pause on it. And, uh, then he got interviewed by some like postmaster inspectors in two hour long sort of like interrogation slash interview where they kind of tried to get him to, to, uh, clarify slash maybe walk back some of what he had he said. Yeah. Um, and, and then based on the outcome of that interview, he then, uh, somehow, um, the media and then the house oversight committee reported that he had recanted mm-hmm. his statement. Yeah. And then he got on and then he got on yeah, the Washington Post and then he got online that day and said, I didn't recant my statement. Yeah. I don't recant my statement. Well and so as I understand I was it, manipulated in an interview, but I never recanted my statement. Now I listened to most of that interview. Mm-hmm. I don't think it favors one of those interpretations over the other the the interview is basically uh the the investigator talking with him this postal worker he he essentially makes him question his own memory to the point where he's not certain yep and and i guess that was what was being well the big kicker in the interview was he takes him to the place where he takes him to the spot where the guy said he heard all this Mm mm-hmm and he goes to where the guy was before he tells him he's going to do this. And he says something to the guy. He goes like, blah, blah, blah. and the guy goes, what? And he goes, Oh, you didn't hear me. Yeah. And he goes, no. And he goes, Oh, well then how did you hear them? Yeah. And he, and he, it, 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 and it does seem a little bit shady. He's like, well, I don't, maybe I didn't hear them. And, and then he kind of grills him. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure I heard him say this. And so, yeah, he does kind of try to undermine the whole thing instead of trying to really get at like, um, what you tell me, what you believe he, he was trying to falsify the thing. He was like, well, maybe this is what happened. Yeah. Maybe, are you sure? Maybe this didn't happen. Are you sure? Maybe this wasn't what you heard. So it doesn't seem great. No. Um, it never at any point, I didn't get to the end of it, but never at any point does he guy seem like he recants. Yeah. Um, he seems to hold pretty firmly to like, no, I'm pretty sure I heard them say post market. Yeah. Um, and then he definitely comes back around in other yeah. interviews and is, yeah, he's know. definitely come back since then and said that. And then they said then, specifically that he did not. Recant. Yeah. 
And then it gets reported in this really convoluted way, like, um, by like a Twitter blurb, like mm-hmm. Washington post reports, man recants statement and it's in bold. And then below that, it's like, but man says he does comes out and says he does not like in smaller letters, but he does not, mm-hmm. rec- he says he does not recant, yeah. but the house oversight committee said he did recant. Yeah. And it's just this really confusing thing. You're like, who in the world is telling the truth here? Yeah. And in, in, in order to like, I still don't know. Cause I mean, I like, I listened to the whole two hour thing and I'm just like, maybe I could think of a scenario in which like he got to a point and in, in which he was like, I don't know, maybe I didn't, maybe off the record or something. Yeah. He said, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe this didn't happen the way I think it did. And yeah. they took that as a recanting. And then now he's going, well, wait a minute. They just manipulated me. I didn't recant. Yeah. I think the point I'm trying to make in all this is that the, these things can get super complicated and, yeah. And, and, and to determine like what's true in some of these scenarios, I'm kind of getting to the point where it's like, maybe that's not my responsibility Hmm. and maybe I just don't need to figure out what's true in some of these scenarios that really have, um, I don't know that, that they're too remote that, yeah, sometimes it, maybe it's like, I, I will trust that, that that process will play itself out with the people who are involved because yeah. if that's not the case, other people will deal with it. And, and maybe, the, well, so maybe some people hear that and they say, Oh, that's naive or that's, you know, I, I don't know. But like, yeah. I think there's so much information. Well, that's the thing. That's what complicates this is that I think that you have, what, what's so confusing is that we live in a world where we have access to so much information where it's plausible that you can, you could potentially track down enough information to come to a position of, of certainty or at least confidence in one way or another. Then what does it matter for you? Like, what does it matter if you decided, let me just get to the point I'm making, which is like, okay, let's say I listen to all that and I determined, wait a minute. Yeah, there was fraud here. What are you going to do about that? Uh, are you going to do anything about that? Probably post on social media. <laughs> right. That's all you're going to do. Yeah. You're not going to actually be able to change the outcome of the election. And you're not going to be able to change the outcome of the election by posting on social media. The only way that's going to happen is if the guy's like, no, 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 this definitely happened. And he continues to stick to it. And then other people investigate it. And it yeah. comes out, yeah, this is definitely some evidence that this was happening. Well, well you know what but confuses that? you're not going to be the catalyst to make well, that happen. But, but here's the thing. Like, you know, like crimes have been solved on Reddit. And this is what's so confusing is that like crowdsourcing of information and particularly in like trying to track down information that's different has the potential to to change i don't disagree but don't you think that's different um i guess i mean maybe in this case yes but but just the, like, my, my my bigger point was that we have the capacity to to access information in such a way that i mean at least plausibly we can make some amount of impact like even even in terms of social media, you have a platform where you can you can say things that might get to the right person that might want to look into it, and you know, like yeah, maybe it, it but, seems more connected in that way. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying that like at a certain point it's so remote from us that we probably don't have much responsibility because what can we really do at the end of the day? Yeah. But uh, well, even just, just beyond the, responsibility, like you know, what are you actually going to do? I mean. I'm not saying there isn't like, so, you know, maybe a better way to, to, that's a, that's one example, but you know, you go look at like the whole Hunter Biden deal. Um, you know, maybe you could argue, look, 
if we could if if we have the ability to determine who's telling the truth here is this an accurate story or is it not then that determines whether or not we should vote for this person or not yeah um at the end of the day it didn't have a huge impact on me i wasn't gonna vote for biden anyways yeah so the idea that maybe that was the case didn't make me any more likely to not vote for him yeah maybe there's some people out there that that that's the case. And I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that we don't have a responsibility to hold the media accountable and say, you know, this gets into a, maybe a little bit different question. And that is like, I do think that I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the gatekeeping that's yeah. going on. Yeah. And like uh, Twitter censoring. And that yes. Kind of stuff. And it's getting a little, I mean, I think it's getting a little out of hand. Yeah. So you, you, you had sent me a photo earlier today, a screenshot of what I thought was a legitimate yeah. tweet from, you know, a fake account that's with Apostle Peter that said, the tweet was, uh, Jesus, you are the Christ. Yep. You are the Son of God. And then there was a little, like, Context. exclamation point, you know, content verification from Twitter that said, uh, this this tweet is disputed. Uh, <laughs> you know, see more about how Jesus is the son, son of, of Joseph. Joseph. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw that and I actually thought, I, I responded like this is ridiculous. Yeah, and you you had to correct me. Oh, this is a, this is a joke, but but the the bigger point is you know maybe I don't use Twitter enough, but I've seen enough of that to believe that that actually would have happened. Well, there is the the thing I sent you the other day. It was a it was a picture on Trump's Instagram of him saluting soldiers on Veterans Day, and it said like Happy Veterans Day to our veterans. I mean, he's still the president yeah. until January. Yeah, and so it was pretty typical thing for a president to do you know a photo of him saluting veterans on veterans day and saying you know uh, salute our veterans and there was a little context thing at the bottom saying joe biden is the winner of the elections click here to see more information and i was thinking like why why what do you like yeah. do you, i don't know if that's just become a thing where they've just tagged that on everything he's posted because yeah. he's posted so much stuff that they just got to a point where it was just easier to go. If Trump, if he posts something, just post. Nope, Joe Biden's the president. Yeah, and um, to to be fair, Trump can be pretty irresponsible on on Twitter. Yeah, but here's the thing: I I don't. Um, Does that mean that you censor him because of that? I don't. I don't know. No. I don't think you. Here's the thing, and we were talking about this earlier. Like, if if my president is becoming a crazy dictator, I want it to be in full view. Yeah. I want to see it. I want to be able to get on social media and go, what? What's this guy saying? <laughs> like, what is he saying? Yeah. And if I get on social media and it's like either blocked or or you're trying to tell me how to interpret what I'm seeing. No. I don't want that. I don't. I don't. And I understand the argument. You know, somebody makes the argument that there are people out there who, who because he's the president of the United States, will automatically believe that Naively. what he's saying is true. Yeah. And so you have to provide context. But you know what? The reality is, I think the people who you're talking about are the people who are going to see that and go, uh he's president. Like yeah. they're going to see you do Either that. Way. And they're they're already they're the people who are already going they're the people who are already bought in. Yeah. They're the people who are already bought in, you know, hook line and sinker and going, I don't care what you say, Donald Trump is president even 10 years from now, I guarantee you there'll be people who are. And that's true. And 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 the and the sort of content verification is just adding and reinforcing their doing, idea that it's a conspiracy. Um, seriously. <laughs> first who, yeah, exactly. And then who out there who out there sees that and goes, "Oh, oh okay. Who? I almost thought 
Yeah. Man, thank goodness for that because I almost That's thought a great Donald point. Trump was actually. <laughs> Are there the people? Truth? Is is there a category of people? I mean, like, what what about this? What about like a like a high schooler who's really impressionable maybe. who doesn't necessarily have political opinions maybe, about but things? Maybe your high schooler shouldn't be on Twitter. <laughs> that's a better point. <laughs> but, but that's like, definitely I don't that's know. what they should, they should just have an, an age limit. I mean, maybe there's a there's people out there who are impressionable, and I'm not saying that's not the case, but I don't think. Twitter has the ability or the responsibility to determine we so that that's a bigger danger than just whether or not they can provide. I mean, that's yeah, we, we ought to be the people that we know that are impressionable. We ought to be talking to them about anything they see online and anything they're willing to buy into. I mean, it's yeah. a much bigger problem to deal with than just needing Twitter to figure out how to and and yeah. do we want them to be the ones to determine? What's well, context and what's not good context? And, okay. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do with the rebuttal that you know Twitter is a private company uh, that they feel a responsibility to manage their platform that they own technically? Uh, it's not a. It's not like a utility. It's not a public utility that the federal government owns and manages. So it's not necessarily a common good. What do you do with the argument? Where people would say, "Oh, it's a private company, so they can technically do whatever they want with it." Yeah, so um, I would think that was a good argument if those companies like Twitter and Facebook uh, and YouTube didn't play sort of fast and loose with those categories, okay? Which they do. So when it suits them, they're willing to act like we're a private company. We can censor and we can do whatever we need to. Yeah. When it doesn't suit them, they're perfectly willing to appeal to the idea that they're a public forum and they shouldn't be held responsible for content that's put on there. Okay. So if people use Twitter to coordinate terrorist attacks and they fail to to notice that and it gets a, taken and it goes out, they're they're one of the first people to go, well, you know, we're not accountable. We shouldn't be held accountable to that. And if you go in like at an actual legal level, a lot of these companies are, are – when it suits them, they will claim – public use yeah and when it doesn't suit them or you know when it when it when it's more beneficial to them to say we want to stop this from being posted or we want to censor this yeah they'll revert back to that question so i think they have to pick a lane they have to decide either we are not going to be held responsible for the content that gets put on here or we are going to be held responsible and therefore we have a responsibility to gatekeep the content but you can't you can't have one foot in and one foot out and then and then in such transparently biased ways seem to apply that rule yeah. when it when it seems to suit you. And there's, I mean, we are not the place to determine that. I mean, there's so many other, there's so many other things you can go out there and look at and cases to be made for the overwhelmingly biased censorship on yeah. social media platforms, especially Twitter, and how that leads overwhelmingly... Uh, the bias leans overwhelmingly against conservatives. Yeah, um, which is why that's these. Which is why the the joke tweet that you, that I sent you came out because people are sort of starting to criticize. Mostly conservatives are trying to criticize this idea of of gatekeeping context and like, thanks Twitter. I you know, I don't really care if you don't think this is true or not. So yeah. it's it's a little bit of like a. I feel like we're kind of speaking. On the one hand, we're saying, "Hey, there's real misinformation online, and we've got. I think as Christians, we've got to be we've got to be aware of that. We can't just buy into. If Donald Trump says the election is rigged, we can't just go. Well, Donald Trump says it; it must be true. Yeah. Uh, because and if Twitter put a little caption on it, then it definitely must be true. Yeah. Or Snopes um, on Facebook, by yeah. the way. 
yeah, fact checking like the Babylon Bee. Yep. Um, <laughs> Which Trump retweeted <laughs> as a real thing. Amazing. Um, but then on the other hand, I don't think that we should. I don't think that we should be like. I don't think we should view that kind of behavior by social media companies as the answer. Yeah. I think what we want is to be people who can who can take every thought captive to Christ. I mean, this gets into the broader issue of like, we ought to be people who are not beholden to this ideology or that ideology. No. Um, but people who can see the faults in both and who can accurately assess um, both and, and both and who can, you know, demolish strongholds and arguments and not get sort of swayed into one idea or the other, Yeah. but be willing to, to criticize Trump when he's saying things that seem, don't seem to comport with reality, but yeah. really just seem to fit his typical agenda about himself and himself first. And then also not be supportive of um, social media sort of gatekeeping information. I want it all out there. Yeah. You know, like I want to be able to see it and I want to be able to do my best to, to decide either a, as we said earlier, there's just too much conflicting information here. I'm too far away from this and I have really no impact on this. So I don't, I'm just not going to even get involved, but yeah. I want, if the information's there, I want it to be, I want all sides to be able to make the case, you know, as the proverb says, you know, you know, one seems, I'm going to, why am I butchering it? I don't, Justin, can you look this up? <laughs> he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know what I'm asking him to look up. Does he? I didn't can even, you assume I said, what he's going to say and look I it said up? one word. Was it like by many by many counselors? The first yeah. to say, state his case. Yeah. Yes. What is it? Hey, he knew. The uh, the one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes and examines. Yeah. So the the one who this guy. Again. Okay, Justin. Yeah. I'll see you over there. Yeah. So the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Nice. Um, I think that's a good truth. I mean, it's yeah. a wise truth, and we ought to be people who who are willing to. Um, to look at whether it's stuff we see on social media or in the news and examine it that way. I'm pretty consistent about like, I will read both conservative and non-conservative like news media and I'll try to sort of see what's the through line here. Yeah. And I think that's good. I think it's getting harder to do that though. Yeah. But there needs to be like a saltiness about Christians where we can't necessarily be put in a box Right, like where we we we're so predictable that oh, okay, you're a Christian, you're going to agree with everything Trump says, right? Yeah. Or you're a Christian, you're going to be you know social justice warrior or anything like that. Like we need to be able to to assess both sides to to basically think before we speak. Yeah, ultimately, because the opposite of that is just whole wholeheartedly sort of giving yourself up to one side or the other. Yeah. And that's a real danger. And I think that's something that we see a lot is that because there's a lot of like initial commitments on the issues, like with conservatives of things like abortion and, and other things that d- definitely now seem to be good. Um, that seem to sort of go, okay, we align with this closely with this group. Now I think the danger can become like recognizing, um, from from like a political perspective, you know, okay, I'm I'm I I see things in this party that that 
I'm more generally agree with and more generally want to see happen. But yeah. what kind of ends up ends up happening is those commitments can then draw us into a kind of um, association with loyalty. our faith and a loyalty to those groups that we become sort of ideologically committed to things that maybe we shouldn't be or, or, yeah. or even just like, yeah, like it's, it's something that, you know, we've talked about and that Paul in, in Colossians two warns us about, which is that we were not to be taken captive by um, philosophy or empty deceit according to human traditions or, uh, and then he, he ties that into spirits like the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Yeah. And the idea behind that is fascinating to me because what Paul seems to be saying is that there's philosophies and human traditions and ideas that are in the world that are, that have a sort of personality behind them that is demonic. Yeah. And, and I think we tend to maybe grasp and, that if we associate those things with like, with like, you know, things that we inherently see as bad, like yeah. Marxism or, um, you know, conservatives will go like, yeah, sure. That's demonic. Yeah. But I think what we have to be equally worried about is that there's still ideologies that are, that aren't ideologies that are necessarily like biblically defined. We're not talking about like, um, a kind of like Calvinism or something like that, which is a, a, an ideology that's defined by a, a sort of it's derived, under, from, derived scripture. from scripture. Yeah. yeah. But we're talking about like a philosophy of government that, that like conservatism or republicanism that may have some, some similar aims Mm -hmm. to like Christians, but is it, I think we still have to ask that question. Like what drives that? Yeah. Cause there are times where like we can talk as, you know, that that's the whole dichotomy. Is it like, I've heard somebody say, if you're a, if you're a conservative and I don't, I'm not saying this is true, but I think it illustrates something, but it's like, if you're, if you're a conservative, if you're, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. Yeah. And what's interesting about that statement is it's trying to illustrate some aspect of what's good and negative about both. Yeah. Which is that like there's something that in people who, who lean a little bit more liberal politically that seems to be associated with like compassion for people. Empathy. Yeah. Empathy. And then there's something that seems to be associated with like conservatism that, that lit people associated with a kind of like rationality or wisdom wisdom yeah. when nowadays too, though that kind of gets blurred in some ways where, you know, like the Republicans aren't really, aren't really conservative yeah, or Democrats are not classically liberal. Yeah. But the point in all that's to say, like, I think we had to recognize that like we, we can't commit ourselves. We're, we're not, we're not captive to a particular philosophy. Yeah. Um, we are captive ultimately to Christ. Yeah. As Paul goes on to say, like he's the one who set us free. He's the one to whom we owe our allegiance. And therefore we are to let no one pass judgment on us and what we do. You know, Paul applies that specifically to these practices that the Colossians were dealing with, with asceticism. Um, but I think the same can be said, like we've died to the elemental spirits of the world and to the philosophies of this world. And we've died to the demands yeah. that those that those things carry, so we're not required to um, we're not required to affiliate ourselves with these things. Yeah. In so much as and and more than that, we're not. We're, it's not merely that we're not required. It's that we need to have a healthy skepticism of them yeah. because they have the capacity to or the potential to to hold us captive. Right. 
because like you're saying that there's there's influences behind them that are yeah not where really... we start to and that's the problem that we're seeing is that where we start to interpret these situations in a way that's just blindly favoring our party yeah. our group or our and and people do this in people can do this in other ways that aren't just political i mean you see this online in christian twitter people fall into like this camp and that camp and then they just become like blind advocates for a particular camp yeah. rather than being willing to sort of step back and try to give an assessment of like, okay, what's really the debate here and how do we think through it and how do we get through it and what, who's making a good point? Like, okay, you're making a good point here, but I disagree with you here yeah. and you're making a good point here, but I think maybe you're saying it wrong. No. So there's not enough of that. And I think as Christians, we're, we're called to be the people who, are able to above stand above all the sort of factionalism yeah. and, and, and make an accurate assessment of things and being willing to tell people, you know, my boss is extremely liberal and, and yet, you know, I've gotten into some pretty deep conversations with him at times where I'll say to him, like, I can tell you genuinely care about people and you, you're trying to figure out how you help the most number of people in this country. Yeah. And that's commendable. I, I, I just don't think, Sometimes your ideas are going to accomplish what you hope they would accomplish. Yeah. And when I've had those kinds of conversations with him, that's a very different, I can tell because he'll tell me like, well, that's a very different. Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. That's a good point. You know, hmm. that's a very different thing to, to him to say to him, then you're an idiot. You're a liberal. And yeah. you know, I mean, just people, the way people kind yeah. of have these conversations, it's just not productive and it's well, just not helpful. I think our, our, our culture almost, in all the mediums with which we communicate about politics, it almost conditions us not to have dialogue about it. Because, I mean, you think about you think about the debates. Debates are just sound bites. They're just back and forth sound bites. <laughs> There's not actual substance going on. It's not a yeah. debate. You know, it's, you know, Mol- Al-, Al Mohler would say it's just performance art, right? Yeah. It's just, you're, you're, it's rhetoric. You're saying the things that you think will evoke the right response from the most amount of people you know, to, to get them to vote for you. But, but I think on the other side, again, that's, that's also why we, we find these kinds of discussions on the podcast to be helpful because here's actually a forum to communicate about, you know, political things in a way where we're actually trying to think through something to its logical conclusions. But I think, uh, just taking a step back as we talk about what does it look like for a Christian to engage politically, uh, Going back to our, our first podcast where we talked about, you know, Al Mohler's article about uh, why he was choosing still to to vote for Trump versus, you know, Piper's uh, argument maybe to abstain from voting altogether. I think both of those men are examples of how to think well and to think nuance and not to be held captive by, you know, just just sort of agreeing wholeheartedly to whatever one party says versus another, right. uh, but rather to navigate them with with nuance. And, and Al Mohler's article is a good example of someone who, in his conscience, can get to the point of being okay with voting for Trump while still holding reservations about his character and yeah. and not dismissing those or not saying, "Well, Biden's worse," but you know owning up to those those realities and yet still saying you know i think that the stakes are high enough and yeah. i think that there's enough character shown from policies and things like that yeah. that i can you know justify this vote 
but it's it's that way of thinking that I think well, we need to need adopt. To, yeah, that's where you need to be able to deal with people as they're as they are and in the arguments they're actually making, not the sort of boogeyman version of what yeah. you think they're saying. Yeah. And so, you know, there might be Christians out there who voted for Joe Biden. I think the least I'm sure there are the least important the least helpful thing to do is to go, well, you must just, you must be for abortion yeah, and, and not, and not engage that person on the level of the individual and say, let's talk about what motivated you. And let's like, okay, I, I might be able to try to convince you or make the case, like in spite of good, good reasons that you have for voting for a candidate like that, I don't think you should. And that's a conversation I want to have with that person, yeah. but in a way where I want to actually understand what is driving them towards that. And be, and assuming that they're a Christian, that especially that they're not just like, uh, you know, that they're not a caricature, that they're, that they made that decision and something drove them to that, that, that I can sit there and go, okay, I understand that. Like, yeah. and that's, that's a fair thing that you don't like Trump. Yeah. For those reasons. And I understand why you want this. But and, and even then, like you're not going to get to the level of actually trying to convince the person to not do that if you don't talk to them on that level. Yeah. And so like we're just not we're not convincing anybody of anything anymore. Nobody is. Yeah. And and I think that the only thing that convinces people is just like I, I think in this last election, the only thing that convinced people to vote one way or the other had nothing to do with any arguments that anybody made. It was just like some people obviously really didn't like Trump. And I think it's probably fear more than anything. Yeah. And so, um, but that's, that's not good. I mean, like we need to be able, and especially in the church on the level of, of discipleship, like we need to be at a point where we can sit down and have conversations with fellow church members and believers and maybe disagree on some things like whether it's, um, there's so many different things that are controversial right now, whether it's the outcome of this election, this conspiracy or that uh, coronavirus. And, you know, it's just it, it, it feels like every time you sit down. It's like um, it's like everybody that I'm around, I feel like, OK, what kind of tiptoeing am I going to have to do? Yeah. In different directions. Yeah. Like I go this and it's just that that polarizing feel. And I wish that you could just sit down with someone and go, OK, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and I'm I try to do this in conversations with people where I go like, yeah, I hear what you're saying about that. Do you think that that's you really think that that's a biggest a big a deal as you think it's it is? Yeah. You know, like and just maybe try to gently push on it and and try to get to to something, but it's, um, anyways, and all that's to say, like I said, we've got to be able to just stand above all this. Yeah. And I don't know what, I mean, we obviously don't know what's going to happen, but I think, I think we've got to be people who are willing to let this process work itself out. Yeah. Somebody will be president yeah. in January. Uh, hopefully, uh, it, well, if it's not Biden and it's not Trump, it will be Nancy Pelosi because I think that's how the rules work. Yep. If they don't certify by the day that they're they're supposed to be sworn in, I believe Speaker of the House becomes president. So, uh um, the world. Um I I would probably hope that maybe 
Trump would concede before that happens. No. Because it seems like that would be a worse outcome than the current outcome. But, <laughs> um, that's not the here. All that's to say, like, I think the last thing we should be doing right now is, is getting online and getting easily stirred up yeah. into this thing or that thing. I'm not saying we don't think about it. We don't have an ability or even uh, that it's not useful to understand what's going on. We just have to be careful. Yeah. We have to be cautious. And we have to, especially when it seems to suit our, our desired outcome. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people out there who are, who really want, Trump to be president and not Biden. I don't particularly love that Biden's president and I'm not going to, I'm sure the next four years are not going to be, there's going to be plenty of things that happen that probably I don't like. And I will hopefully be as critical of that as I'm willing to be of Trump, his behavior at least. Um, But I hope I can be unbiased about whatever data gets put forward. And, Thankfully, I don't have to think that critically because, again, there are courts yeah. who ultimately decide the validity of some of these things. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's right. It's it's an interesting position we find ourselves in when the president is the one that is making the allegations and, and somewhat undermining the trust in the, the systems that we have. Yeah, but, I mean... I mean that does, that doesn't necessarily mean one thing or another. It doesn't mean, you know, because he's willing to make those kinds of allegations that they're untrue or that they're true. You know, again, it's it's something that's best left to courts that are have you, access you, you to. You could maybe make an argument that that there's a better way to go about doing what he's been doing. Sure. I mean, you, you, even on election night. Well, there's an argument even for the Republican Party that there's a better way of going about doing what he's doing, just given that. If if you want to have a stable, you know, continuation of your party beyond your own term, yeah. I you don't need get, to have. Yeah, I don't get the end game because if yeah. if if what you're doing is you're just stirring up your base because none of that's going to actually matter in court. Yeah, tweets aren't. You know, the courts aren't going to go. Well, he tweeted a, a lot that there was fraud, so there must have been. Yeah, all that seems to do is maybe stir up your base to convince them that that's what's happening. Yeah. But I, again, I don't know what that accomplishes because that's not going to change the outcome. They're not going to at best. Maybe there, maybe there's, I don't know. Maybe there's more pressure to, or maybe there's more money donated towards the, the cause of fighting the legal battles. It seems like they've already been, had some people put up some money to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I, yeah, I mean, I think you could have said, hey, we think there's some questions and concerns here. We're going to look into it. Yeah. But that's never been his brand. I mean, that's just not yeah. – everything here is is on brand. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah. We can't end like this. This is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Christ is on the throne one way or another. Yeah. It's not that the election is unimportant, but yep. we can have confidence in the midst of it. We'll yep. be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's true. Um but I don't want that to undermine not concern for the election, but I would say in a bigger sense as Christians, I really want to, us to be much more 
um, encouraged by the fact that Christ has redeemed us from this world and he's redeemed us from the demands and the ideas of this world that we're not beholden to this party or that camp or this people or that people. Um, we're beholden to Christ. He's the one who set us free. Uh, he's the one who freed us from the penalty that we deserved for our sin. He's the one who redeemed us from any demands that any, uh, spiritual authorities had on us and he owns us 100%. So as Paul says, we can set our, our minds and our thoughts fully on him, um, and trust him completely and, and be completely a servant to what he wants and what he says. Yeah. And maybe sometimes that means we're going to vote one way and not another, but not because that's what somebody on television tells us what to do. Yeah. Not because that's what the party wants or that's what this camp says, but because we're willing to do whatever it is we think Christ would have us do. And, um, I hope as Christians that we can encourage that and be willing to, um, to stand, uh, with Christ, even if it means both sides are not happy with us. Absolutely. And all of this election business, all of this voting business is a temporary situation. That's true. The last government will be not a democracy, but a monarchy on Mars. Well, maybe if Spurgeon's <laughs> right. <laughs> Full circle, baby. We'll, we'll see we'll you on Mars. Vegans on Mars <laughs> with our robot AIs. <laughs> oh, please make it so. Yep. And just waiting for Jesus to come back and destroy the earth while we're kicked back on no, Mars, I, eating plants. Hey, I'm I'm going with Jesus to Mars. Okay. To tell the Martians. To tell the Martians about, yeah, you're with Spurgeon then, okay. That's right. Looking forward to it. That's right. We'll see you there. Yeah, we'll see you then. (laughs) Bye.